Hi, I am Lebulain and this is the Disruptors series powered by the Lessons with Lion podcast. Disruptors is an interview podcast series that gives you a glimpse into the perspectives of the exceptional African disruptors who've achieved extraordinary feats in their industries. On this podcast, you will get to know the Afri-millennials behind the disruption. Tune in to our candid conversations by searching for Lessons with Lion on Spotify, iTunes or SoundCloud. Today we're in conversation with actress, radio host and educator Candice Mudiselle, who is arguably one of the most accomplished young actresses South Africa has to offer. Not only is she extremely beautiful, her intellect transcends stereotypes about entertainers and inspires you to dare to live in your truth. With talents of such a high caliber as Candice at the helm, the South African entertainment industry is in good hands. Uh, my name is Candice Murisele, television presenter, theater practitioner, actress, radio host, speaker by profession, entertainment extraordinaire, and lover of life and vessel of God's work. That's a lot, and I feel like that doesn't cover the full basis and scope of what I do, but at least respect the craft enough to learn the mechanics of what it takes to be there. Have you studied the craft? Do you know what it means to be a vessel of communication? Mm. It's not about the glamour. It's not about the, the glitz. It's not about the followers and the trends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi guys and welcome to another episode of Lessons with Lion, hashtag the Disruptor Series and today I am so excited about my guest. I know I always say that but I genuinely <laughs> am excited for the guests that I have. This particular lady really inspires me because I feel like she's always herself and you can see that in everything that she does and you know I'm always preaching about authenticity and I feel like future brands that are successful are going to be all about authenticity. She's also beautiful, but I mean, come on, we always say that about women. She really is extremely talented. And as usual, I will not introduce her. She will introduce herself. So please tell us who you are. Firstly, thank you for that <laughs> massive whopper of an introduction. You're making me blush. And if you're watching the podcast, you can see me blush. But if not, you can just feel it. Uh, my name is Candice Murisele. Television presenter, theater practitioner, actress, radio host, 
speaker by profession, entertainment extraordinaire and lover of life and vessel of God's work. That's a lot. That's a lot. And I feel like that doesn't cover the full basis and scope of what I do. I'm also an educator, a lecturer. A lot of things. A lot of things. I do a lot. You do a lot, Candice. I and do. You know, some people say that if someone does a lot, they're not really skilled in anything. It's like master of, what is it? Ma a, a jack of all trades jack and a master of, all of trades none. And master of none. What do you have to say about that? I, I'm a professional scholar, so I'm, learn I'm always learning. I don't ever deem myself a master in anything because it, it seems as though and it creates the perception that I've reached the ceiling in what I can learn mm -hmm. and in my value proposition. I, by all means, pursue a level of excellence in everything. Um, but it doesn't mean that things are lacking. Yes, will everything have my same level of focus, energy and concentration? Absolutely not. It's 24 hours in a day and I'm only one person. Um, but I, at, my, at most, I will attempt to apply excellence. And if, not, if anything less, I'll try better. What is excellence? Excellence means the best version of myself at that time. Um, but also, I believe it's if it's of service to other people in a way that I can impact them, transform or restore um, a, a level of improvement in their life, then that's my success. I think my, my success doesn't revolve solely around how people perceive my excellence. Um, it's really about what lasting impact can I create and what legacy can I leave behind. It has nothing to do with how much is in my bank account how many likes or retweets I have, or how many times I'm trending on social media. That has no relevance whatsoever. Um, but it's really about how many lives are you transforming. And that for me is excellence. You heard it from Candace herself. Excellence <laughs> is more than just about how much you have in yeah. your bank account. It's really a holistic concept. You know, it's bigger than you. I love that. Because yeah. I think so many people struggle with that concept of excellence. We see people in designer labels, Instagram life, and we think that's excellence. Yeah, we think that's success. Yeah. The car you drive success. success. Black excellence is having a Mercedes. And I think the, there's an there's a idiosyncratic meaning, understanding, and relationship that we have to excellence and mm -hmm. success. Because we all derive from different points and access points of, of growth, of even where we start the race, mm. is all very different. So our understanding of success already starts off from a different point. If I, if my, if my point of arrival, if I've already started the race, ten steps ahead from someone else, my success might be Mark Zuckerberg. Yes. Other people's success might be just getting through the day, mm. and that for me is the goal that I plan on reaching. Mm. So it, it's there, there isn't an overarching umbrella term or an umbrella understanding or de definition or denotation or connotation of, of what success should and can be but how you define it in your ordinary life and making it something extraordinary is completely up to you. And we, can't, and we can't take that away from you. I love that, I love that. That's such a great point that you've made. So tell us, who was Candace as a little girl? Oh my word. <laughs> so firstly, I was an identity crisis in human form. What, what does that mean? So I grew up um, in a household with um, three incredible women, my mother, Grace Murisele, Grace Mutlalebule Murisele, the one that came with the rain and the blessings. Um, and she raised us on her own. We lost my father in 97. I was only two years old, winter six, Rufile uh, 11. Um, which was naturally very difficult because now we have a mother who has to raise three girls on her own. And she had to carry the weight of the world 
and still be as graceful if anything and that's what nominal determination is actually she is grace personified um, so it was kind of um, drawing the parallels between that and also being this young vibrant energetic black girl who did not for the life of her understand who she was and no one really does at the tender age of seven um, navigating through this life thing being a black girl in a predominantly white environment so now and <clears throat> interestingly enough I sounded like this for most of my life so ask Candace I really had aspirations of being Britney Spears I would do Britney Spears impersonations for my fellow classmates and elder school students um, just for attention I was always I always felt like entertainment was something that I didn't, I didn't necessarily choose but something I was called to do because from a young age I was reading the back of the lotto ticket to my family <laughs> in Isizulu even though I couldn't for the life of me do it because it, it made them laugh so I was plotting and I was kind of um, creating the dots that would later be joined uh, at an early age and creating a, or really really with I, I was becoming the architect of my own narrative as a storyteller um, from an early age and you didn't notice that then and it didn't seem like a lucrative career but I was an entertainer by design mm. from that age charismatic um, always had the most to say which has not changed um, and I was unapologetic from a young age and we lose that and we become pacified when we're, when we're older. Life pacifies us and it tells us that we're too loud, that we're too opinionated. But I, I had no filter either. I remember telling my mom, my mom's friend, oh my word, uh, God bless his heart. I don't know where he is, Uncle Winston, but shout out to you. Um, I remember saying to him, Uncle Winston, why do you have a strawberry head? Because his head was very peculiarly shaped. Like a strawberry. Like a strawberry. And I felt like bringing that into conversation. Um, but that just tells you the kind of child that I was. But not to the, the disrespect or to the, um, the embarrassment yeah. and detriment of people around me. But it was always, it came from a point of pure intentions, innocence, and just love and joy. Joy. That's, that's really what I felt I was. Um, and to last degree still am. How did you maintain your certainty and awareness of yourself and knowing mm. that this is your calling over time? Because I mean, the older girls get the more we're told, you know, mm. we need to focus, we need to be a certain way. How did you maintain you? I don't think I would have been able to maintain me if I didn't have the people around me that assisted me in that. Mm. Because it is those external influences that dilute who we really are and those influences that have us questioning the integrity and the honesty and the innocence and the authenticity in who we are or who we create ourselves to be. I grounded my teachings and my mother grounded my teachings in God, in faith and in prayer. And in all of that and me discovering who I was and unearthing the identity and the talent and the calling and the passion of who I am, um, was all <clears throat> really immersed in having people support me and not necessarily question. Um, I mean, naturally, you, you question people, we question intention, but I was never questioned around what my passion was because it was so clear. Um, 
and the bug bit me and it was infectious and it's the bug that bit my family mm. so my mom could not deny for the life of her um who we really were because we are living embodiment of who she is mm. so we are we are literally like i i always say i sip from the fountain of excellence that my mother is and we are droplets we are branches of the vine that is my mother so for me to be an entertainer and to be questioned i'd be like question yourself first my girl <laughs> before you think that i am not a storyteller question who you are in the room yeah and who are you to question who i am in the room if you are that in every day in every way unapologetically so with grace mm. in grace you are grace yeah so um <clears throat> so i so I, i i dove into and i was very persistent and intentional from a very young age so from being a young performer on stage having started in theater in primary school and again i didn't know the, the the path that i was creating or the journey that i was forging ahead or the the journey i was embarking on all i knew is that i loved what i loved and i was it was not going to be taken away from me um but then you dabble around in I wanted at some point to be a psychologist and interior designer. I at seven was relentless wanting to be a trapeze artist. Wow. I'm like I'm working in the circus <laughs> and I'm going to be jumping back and forth. But ironically that's what I do now for yeah. a, a living. I entertain people. I entertain I I'm within a circus that is the entertainment industry mm. which may throw you around back and forth and you find your balance as you go. But I'm figuratively a trapeze artist but literally an entertainer. Um So yes, there were there was the tug of war that came here and there as we do mm. and as we discover and unearth who we are, but still it was grounded in who I am as an entertainer and my family facilitated that, supported that, questioned it when necessary, but they didn't at all um question who I was and who I was called to be and I will always love and respect them for that. That's beautiful. Shout out to them. That's amazing. Shout out to my Not sisters, my mother. Not privilege. Exactly. Yeah. Some of people aren't even questioning they're told who they are. Mm. And let me say not some the majority of because we didn't have pitches in tennis, we didn't have prominent examples of success mm. that were consistent in their elevation. There was always some form of demise, always some form of deterioration, always some form of defamation mm. that took away from their core. Because as soon as you're on the cover of a newspaper and uh, and I mean we're afforded social media now where we get full scope of the story, full scope of the situation. But back then, you're on the cover of the newspaper um for drug addiction, which may be completely far-fetched. Before you know it, you're not being booked for work, booked for jobs. Mm-hmm. And it th- there is now the fall in the character arc or the arc of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um and you are flawed. I mean, we're flawed by nature, we're flawed people. But once the fall comes, you're not booked, you're not working, you're broke. And that was the continuous struggling artist narrative in South Africa and no mm. parent wanted that for their own children. I love that you spoke about the struggling narrative. Oh. Cuz my next question is actually about that. So you studied, you you mm-hmm. studied your craft and people say that the entertainment industry is not a lucrative industry for people. Yeah. Why did you decide to study and what is the value of studying something in the creative field and the arts? What's the value of that in South Africa and in Africa? I don't think I had a choice. Mm. Um it's like I said when it's when the, when something is itching you got to scratch and it's almost like trying to go through the day ignoring that itch mm. that's what it would have been if I decided to choose anything else it would be constantly ignoring the itch that <coughs> oh, excuse me 
<coughs> Unfortunately, many people are confronted with that itch and they don't have the privilege of being able to scratch it because their family swats their hand mm. at any opportunity that they have to do that. Um, on my side, however, in order to respect something, you need to fully understand it. You need to understand the mechanics of it. You need to be able to understand what it is to craft what you do and not just do what you do. Mm. To become a professional at that and to own that. I was also very tired of claiming to be an actress and have people saying, oh, so where do you act? What do you do? And to not be able to take ownership of it. Um, like, if I'm a doctor, or let's just say, nah, Candice Mugisela at 17 years old decide, I want to be a doctor. I can't, for the life of me, imagine five, ten years down the line, walking into a Linksfield clinic and saying, I'm a doctor. And then they're like, oh, where did you study? Where's your degree? And I'm, and I'm like, no, but I'm a doctor. Mm. Okay, but where have you practiced? No, I'm a doctor. Where? I have no expertise and training in that. So how dare I do that with the entertainment industry? I love that. So how dare I be a pro- claim to be a professional and not even, and I'm not saying go to an institution and get a degree or get a diploma or get a, or do a course in it, but at least respect the craft enough to learn the mechanics of what it takes to be there. I say that with presenters as well. As well. I'm like, have you studied the craft of what it means to be a presenter? Do you know what it means to be a vessel of communication? It's not about the glamour. It's not about the, the glitz. It's not about the followers and the trends. The same with the radio host. The same with... Lebo Lion doing a podcast. Do you know the mechanics? Do you understand your market? Mm. Do you understand your audience? And do you understand the the mere grit it takes to be able to do that? And if the answer is no, why are you even there? Mm. Why are you even on the playing field if you don't know what it takes to train? Why are you even you won't be picked for a squad if you don't have the technique. You won't be picked for a show if you don't have the the zest for it. If you don't even have the love for it, mm. you think love will carry you through? <laughs> Come on. It's like a relationship. The same commitment that people have to a relationship, the same way you chase a relationship, the same way you chase a partner, that you mold yourself into all kinds of shapes to be seen and heard. Mm. Why do you not have the same zest for your career? I love that you said that, actually. I'm going to be mm. a bit controversial right oh, now. Oh, okay. We're in the social media age. <clears throat> oh, girl, we can go and all day with that. How much time you got? <laughs> I got to be on set, man, but I can call in sick for this. So we, we're in the social media age, and there are lots mm. of social media celebs coming out. Yes. Getting booked. You know, they have videos on YouTube, and then they get booked. Yes. This person clearly hasn't studied the craft in the way that you're talking about. Definitely. So how do people now value that education and the studying of the craft when it looks like anybody who's got a phone and can get a following will book a gig? Look, I'm not, and I, I will never be the person that feels like because I have a degree that I'm entitled to every job. I've worked for it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've, I've very well earned my stripes, and we use this term paying our dues. For how much longer does someone need to pay their dues? Do I need to be 40 to be able to say, I deserve to be here? Absolutely mm. not. There's a seat at the table for me, and I'm claiming it unapologetically, mm-hmm. because I've worked for that seat. I'm not gonna grovel or beg for that seat. Unfortunately though, 
I'm and I will always acknowledge the fact that I speak from a point of privilege. I am mm-hmm. privileged and I am extremely and unbelievably blessed to be a working actress because I know that I have counterparts, I have fellow classmates, I have people who are working in spaces that make no sense and they have no business being in. That were arguably the most talented storytellers, but because they have to fight for a space, mm. they have to fight for a seat. They have to now bend over backwards and fight for I, it 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 please understand it makes no sense and if you're listening guys please understand that there are people who have studied or been in the theater space from when they were five for as long as they could walk and talk they were performers and then they go to wits they get a degree they go for four years they get their honors degree they are still performers and then they have to what stand in lines to audition with people who decided yesterday that they want to be an actress because they feel like they're pretty enough for it they have the following for it mm. they have the i kind of think that i would make a great actress it's almost like the only thing that that's ever made sense to you is now being reduced to a hobby for someone else uh If it doesn't work out it's cool. For mm. them if if it doesn't work out I have nothing else. Nothing else. Mm. And how is that supposed to feel for someone <clears throat> who's formed their entire identity around being a storyteller and now it is the taste of the season. It's become seasonal for someone. Yeah. It's become table talk, it's become a conversation, it's become a uh in my spare time. What? There are people that act in their spare time. <laughs> When I have committed 20, 40 years of my life, th- this is saying that the work that has gone into, the Dr. John Gunnies, the Ken Timbers, the Zakes and Dyes, the Barney Simons, the Ethel Fugards, mm. their entire, oh my gosh, and how wrong of me to just name men. Oh my word, I'm so sorry for that. Mm. Uh, the late greats, Umam Nomsles, the Mam Nandi Nyembes, even the musicians, They they were storytellers because it was a means of survival for them mm. to become incubators of information to become people that archive South African stories they opened the market theater and they fought for their right to take the stage mm. and they created an industry and now that industry is being reduced to how many followers we have they went through tear gas they fought rubber bullets And now all you need <clears throat> is 100,000 followers. So tear gas versus 100,000 followers is, is where we're at now. It's no longer about the story. It's no longer about who we are South Africans and archiving the narrative. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's crazy. It's crazy. So and what- I understand it because, <clears throat> excuse me, I understand it because it's an industry mm. and an industry needs money and money needs eyes. It needs people that are willing to buy in. And sometimes that's just people who are your followers. It's easier for them. But what happened to keeping the story alive? That's why it's so simple for international to sexual African stories and say that, oh yeah, this is what this is what South Africa is. This is mm. what Africa is. Because we don't take our own story seriously enough to be in to have integrity and shout out to the producers that are still true to the craft. Mm. To the casting directors who are still appreciative of that. Mm. To the commissioning editors that respect that, I think it's 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 so commendable for them to still keep the integrity of the story alive 
without having to um, forsake the honesty and the authenticity of who we are and should be as performers. I like that. But I would like that because I'm a purist at heart and I, mm. I like industries that can merge the two, the social, digital, but mm. also like the craft of it all. Mm. So I really like that answer. And just to add on to what you're saying, I think this next question is about how does then a young person now, just anybody now who wants to be an actor, who takes the craft seriously, how do they break through into the industry? And that's why, <clears throat> that's why this conversation is always very difficult for me because I feel like I'm, I'm representing both sides of the coin. Mm. Because I understand how difficult it is to break into the industry, but not only to break in, but to have staying power. We're living in a time where we can't survive solely off of one stream of income. That's, and that's, that's all industries. That's all industries that if you're not at top level management and if you're not earning the biggest piece of the pie, and you are just a mere employee, I use that in inverted commas, that you need some other hustle. Mm. So that even though you studied, even though you worked hard, even though you have this beautiful list of experience and accolades, you still need a side hustle. And that is a story of a young, gifted and black South African. And I say specifically, black South African. I speak for the black South African, about the black South African around the black South African because that is who I am and that is who and I can't take that away from me because that is the journey that I've had to that I've had to strive and struggle through yeah but it's unfortunate then that if I can't if I now do for example a presenter search and I've done I'm on to my fourth presenter search and I'm always runner-up or I'm always top 10 the best option I have is to use the oyster that is the internet. Mm. And I have to ground myself as the pearl that when you open up at some point, there is room for me and I will be discovered. So when I say, and in, in, in light of the previous statement that I made, that it is unfair that I'm having to compete with people that have a certain number of followers. I'm speaking with the people that have a number of followers but aren't even committed to being there. It is a blessing for me. That's why I say I'm speaking from a point of privilege that I have the craft. I have this. I've studied what I've done. I'm a working actress, but I also have the followership in my favor. There are people that have the following without the craft, without the love. There are people that have the craft without the following. So, so where? How do we navigate between that? Or now we have people that are accomplished or brilliantly seasoned performers that have to build up their following to get a seat at the table. Mm. How does that make sense? So the best option really is to become a social media savvy and a social media recognized personality in order to be cast. So it's almost like the system is working against you. It's difficult. Yeah. It really is difficult and we have to make it work. But how? How do we do that? Brilliant storyteller, Masasa. Unbelievably brilliant storyteller. I'm not seeing her in enough shows. Brilliant presenter, Gusha Adams. Why does she need to be going to presenter search after presenter search after presenter search? Yeah. Mpumi Mlambo, presenter search after presenter search. In order for them to be recognized. It's crazy because the options, not, not, not the options, but the opportunities are there. They are there. And the platforms are there. But it's almost like a 
And for as long as we're speaking amongst ourselves, it's going to be difficult because we need to be speaking to casting directors. We need mm-hmm. to be speaking to producers. But when it comes to all these panel talks, panel discussions, we're not there. It's just actors. But there's only so much influence that we have. We can speak our brains and heads off about opening up the industry. Mm. But if the people that are making these decisions are not there to have these conversations with us, we're literally just going to be idling back and forth. That's true. And the best option, again, is social media. Because we're seeing what it does. We see how you can become, strangely enough, what we thought could never be an overnight success, it can be. Mm-hmm. You have someone like Lasizwe, who has done exceptionally well. Mm. Exceptionally. We have people like Simon Panza, we have people like OK Wasabi, we have, we have people like that, we have people like Spaga, who have really worked, and they, we don't see the groundwork that they've done. But we assume that it's overnight. Mm. Because, oh my gosh, all you needed was a microphone. and a f- All you needed was a phone. Mm. Then we have people like Mushindiki, who is exceptionally talented at being able to do everything and all round. People like Farida. So then you have people who have the craft, with people that understand what they're doing, and they have the numbers. Mm. You can't just have the numbers. It won't work. Because, yes, you might have um, relevance, but you won't have staying power. And staying power is what keeps you there. That's actually one of my next questions. Okay, I went right into it. <laughs> you just went right into it. I'm like sorry. You could just like, present the whole podcast on your without own. Without you. Without me, without the me. The candles need to sell it. You better recognize it on the way. So, how does an actress... Actually, I've got two questions. Maybe you can okay. answer them together. I think they go together in some kind of way. Sure. How does a person carry themselves in a costume? And I'm asking oh, this wow. because I get... I get these questions all the time and I always tell people, I'm not an actor. I've never gone to a class. <laughs> like, I literally can't answer you. I know marketing, yeah. but I do not know, you know, the industry of entertainment. It's not where I am. So how does a person carry themselves in a casting? And then how does a person have staying power in the entertainment industry? Because I mean, now that we have social media, you can literally be relevant today and irrelevant next week because it moves that yeah. quickly. So how does a person have staying power? Yes, the, the scope keeps changing. Mm. Because we always need to satisfy the palate of the audience. Mm. And with that, it will keep transforming because also, like I said, it's an industry. Mm. And an industry needs buyers. And the buyers are your audience. And are your sponsors who want to see numbers. So I could tell you today what it takes to make it through a casting. I've, wow, I was a professional auditioner. <laughs> Before I was a, an actress, I was a professional auditioner because I went to everything. They know me there at Grace Casting. They know me very well. Um, I mean, in my, in my first year of really going out into the world, I had an agent for the first time. I'd just completed my matric and I'm in first year and I'm studying and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go to castings and I'm going to get that big break. Wow, I call it, I, I've said in many interviews, I call it the 18 of 18. I remember going to 18 auditions, it was probably more. In, in 2013, I went to 18 auditions, heard 18 no's, some callbacks, um, but I remember not booking one of 18 jobs. Mm. Imagine how difficult that is for someone who believes that they have everything. I am charismatic, I'm a pretty young girl. Mm. I got straight A's in the trick. What do you mean you don't want me? Mm. And it, it, the thing is, firstly, to prepare yourself going into an audition is important, firstly, because 
you need to understand that it's not personal. Mm. It's never personal. It really is always and will forever be business. Unless the casting director knows you and doesn't like you. <laughs> Then, I mean, that's a story for another day and that's, that's on you, boo-boo. <laughs> exactly. I don't know that. I can't help you with that. But they know what they're looking for. It's almost like going into going onto a, a, a catalog or a menu and you're seeing the picture of the burger you want. You've, you've seen it. It's crystal clear. When you see that burger, you know it's the one you want. Mm. When, it's, when, it's, when, it's, when it's on the table, you know. It's, but if it's now ishotaka, lettuce, it's not the sauce you wanted. It's not personal to the burger. It's just not the one you wanted. Mm. And you're always trying to get the one that fits closest to the perception of the burger you created in your head. Or at least the one that was on the menu. So that's what castings are like. Castings are also different because um, casting directors are different. Mm. They always have... That's why it's difficult for me to answer that question because they, it's, um, they always have a different um, scope of what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. For them, it could be a looks thing, it could be a personality thing. It also depends on what it's for. Is it for a soapy, a film, uh, an, an, an advertisement? Because also that becomes different. Who is the client? Who is the audience? Mm. That, that is, oh gosh, to be able to give adequate um, casting audition prep is, is difficult. Mm. It is difficult and it would need to be a completely different conversation altogether because There's so many different factors that feed into, and I know we have limited time, so. Um, but firstly, it's to understand that it's, it's not personal. And I took it personally in the beginning because I felt like the problem was me. Mm. But I didn't know how it was packaged, so I didn't know how I was selling it. I didn't know the contents. I didn't know the contents, so I could not be content with my growth because I didn't know the content to understand what I was, what I was packing. So I, it was just... How did you get to understand? I was a door-to-door -door salesman that didn't know what was in there. A lot of rejection, reject, and uh, man, it's it's one of those it's one of those infamous quotes I've heard. I've said that rejection is a redirection for your elevation. So I had to literally go on the journey of re-understanding who I was, to open up, to get ugly, to see the the, the ugly in me, to not have this inflated um, understanding of who I was, but to get down to the nitty gritty of okay. No one wants to cost you, what do we do? Do you drop out? Do you go into the corporate space as per um, suggestion? Do you back down um, or do you just make it work? And that's what I did. And then I went and I focused more on the craft. I focused more on, because you would rather have the opportunity and be prepared than be prepared not at all. You'd rather be prepared without the opportunity, mm. rather then have the opportunity and not be prepared. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, the opportunity's not there, let me be better prepared. So everything was just a preparation process for me. It was getting to know the craft, the craft, the craft, the craft, and crafting who I am as a performer. And then, once I felt like I was seasoned enough, went back out into the world, went to audition. Before I knew it, I was getting booked. Mm. Books for theater productions, booked for short films, booked for feature films, and all of that. Mm. And people only see me on your TV and Generation then think that, oh, It okay. Oh, she she had it. Oh, she called her sisters up. Yeah. No, no, they do not see all the other work that went into it, unfortunately. Um, but how to create staying power, man, 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 man. Um, uh, the perception needs to be first and foremost. How you enter the industry needs to be a 
um, it needs to be a journey understanding, not a destination understanding. Because mm-hmm. once you focus on a destination, once you've gotten to that destination, you feel like you've arrived. Um, and a, the arrival point means that again, you don't, you've hit the ceiling. You cannot get better. You cannot improve. You're not opening, uh, open-minded enough to take criticism from people. Everything becomes personal. Everything is ego-driven. So firstly, shed the ego, because too much ego kills the talent. Shed it. Your ego, your ego will get you the job. That's great. It won't keep you the job. I cannot also emphasize enough how important respecting what you do, respecting who you are, respecting the people you engage with, and respecting the craft of what you do is so, so important. That is, and I can tell you, any single person that is still relevant in this industry, whether they be a sports presenter, a radio host, and whether they be the person that rolls the auto cue, whether it be the person that is cleaning, anyone who has staying power is because they have respected the people around them and they've respected their work. And they've formed and maintained relationships through that respect. Because also, we are in a time, and it's not just entertainment industry, it's based on not what what you know, it's Mm -hmm. who you know. Mm -hmm. The reason why you and I are sitting here together is because I met you and we formed a relationship where I'm like, oh my gosh, I dig her vibe, I dig what she's about, I've seen her work, it's highly reputable. And you've res- I, I know without a shadow of a doubt that you should re- respect your work mm-hmm. and you approach me with a level of respect. So if at any point I felt like I was being disrespected, we would not be having this conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's the same in any space. It's a space of referral, it's a culture of referral, mm-hmm. it's a culture of suggestion, and it's a culture of networks. And a net and the people say your network is your net worth. No, 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 no. It's not that. It is the power and the consistency of your network that is your net worth. Because mm-hmm. you've got a valuable people, but if the valuable people don't respect you or recognize who you are or even know what you're about, your network means nothing. Uh-huh. And your net worth means nothing. Because if those relationships aren't of value, then what is staying power without relationships? without valuable relationships fire tweet fire thread oh what you better you just stop. said it's just fire i mean yo i wish i could like repeat this for people constantly i love what you've said people think it's people just feel like they need the plug mm. and for every person guys i'm not being stingy i'm not being rude i'm not being a gatekeeper when someone approaches me and says candace put me on your first approach to me is put me on you haven't, and I'm not saying you need to earn my respect. I respect you just from acknowledgement because that's what my mother taught me. To respect everyone. Uber drivers, security guards, that person that chicken licking that's serving me my hot wings. I will respect you. But if your first approach is to use me, I'm not saying kiss my feet. I'm not saying flatter me and then ask for favors. Yeah. I'm not saying buttery, butter me up and then toast me. Yeah. I'm not saying that. But at the very least, respect me enough to acknowledge me, to acknowledge who you are, to tell me, this is what I do. And I really need some guidance. Mm. I will never miss a moment to help someone in guiding. In, in, I am called to do that. God has purposed me for that. God has built me. He has separated me and elevated me for that and molded me for that. Mm. So who am I to rob people of access to information? But the first thing you want to come to me and do is say, Candace, put me on generation. Just like that. That can't be how we work. No value proposition. No value nothing. proposition. 
no respect for me and then you turn around and say yo oh these celebrities yo they want to be the only people you can't respect me as a person mm. so you're going to approach me as a celebrity mm. nah before i'm anything i'm a person so approach me that way one of the trickiest things i've seen because you spoke about respect you know and ego right mm. so at what point i struggled with this in the beginning at what point do you feel like your reaction is an ego driven one and at what oh. point is it a respect driven one do you get what i'm trying to say do you, when you're sitting with mm. someone and they're saying something you're going but this feels offensive is, is it my ego speaking or is it a respect thing i um was so blessed to be exposed to a book that is called a new earth by eckhart tolle or tolle i don't know <laughs> i don't know if eckhart can pronounce mudisele then we're fine exactly. then we are okay <laughs> but that book speaks about ego the pain body and the subconscious mm. when you have a rein in on the subconscious and how the underlying and the undertones of who we are will boil under and bubble under you will see when it starts to bleed over mm. you will see it you will feel it and you will understand it it's almost like driving a car When you shift into first gear you can feel it into second gear into fourth gear if your boundary is at fifth gear and you feel like fifth gear is too much ego when you're idling onto fifth gear you can feel it mm. or when you are on that clutch you are what you are pressing that clutch but the clutch and the gear are not in conversation you're going to stall and you need to be able to stall cuz once you've learned the mechanics of how to drive that car then you understand how your ego works so think of the think of what goes into that and learning the car you are that car so so and and that car is a subconscious and you need to be driven by something i am driven by my faith and i and i make it very clear that my faith is not religion So I'm, I can't say I'm driven by religion. Mm. I'm driven by my spirituality and my relationship with God. And anything that feels like it is glorifying me and not the gift that God has given me is ego driven mm. because it's driven by the flesh and the self. So and I'm always I'm always having to to um go back and forth between that because I get so insecure sometimes. Sometimes I don't feel pretty enough so my so my 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 place of comfort and I reside in ego and what's that okay post a really pretty picture of yourself and then track the likes and that's what validation thing because I grew up being told you're so beautiful you're so pretty you're so talented and at any point I doubt that I'm like okay um validation what's best social media so that same um relationship that I formed with validation is how i tend to return back to the child that was so accustomed to hearing that she was talented mm. so accustomed to hearing so if i'm on set and i feel like i screwed up all those scenes and i wasn't committed and then i'll feel slightly insecure or if i'm not getting the attention that i want from like a partner or from my family or something which which just happens maybe they are giving me attention and it's just a you thing mm. could be just a you thing um i revert back to that and it's it's still an ongoing tug of war that i have mm. um it's still an ongoing um it's a process a process yeah. to to shed myself of ego but i also believe that once you live a life that is of service to others it cannot be driven by ego 
Mm. It cannot. It's and it's because if it's driven by ego, it will be being of service to others and then telling other people that you're of service to others. People will never hear. I don't tweet about the people I help. I don't. You, I don't. You guys find, please find them. Tag me in them. Where I spoke and I said, oh my gosh, guys, you don't know, like the plug. Like, there are people, I'll speak to you one on one and be like, listen, I was in a boardroom about this audition and I brought your name up. Do not be surprprised. Mm-hmm. I would, I would say, I would speak it to them directly. I'm not going to go on Twitter and say, guys, it's so important to help the industry grow. Mm-hmm. I just plugged, mang, 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 mang. Or when they get that job, I'll say, um, or it's subtle. I'll be like, I'm so grateful that I was in that room to bring your name up. Mm. That is service that is ego-driven. It is not build others and increase the level of morale amongst humanity driven. So it's, it, it's always, it's, it's a huge tug of war. Okay, last few questions. Mm-hmm. Um, beauty. Whoa! Women, beauty, entertainment industry. How did you navigate through that? Being a beautiful woman, how do you, and do you know what the experience is like for people who aren't in the same position as you, who aren't necessarily beautiful? And how should women be using their beauty in the industry? Um, I'm going to be very frank. I didn't feel beautiful for a very long time. In that period that I was um, going to all of these auditions, I thought it was a looks thing. I 110% thought it was a looks thing that I wasn't beautiful enough. And then came a very unfortunate time for me where I was re-evaluating what my beauty looked like and I reduced it to my body. I'm like, okay, I'm curvy, I'm small-waisted, I've, I'm gifted in the posterior and <laughs> chest area, which a lot of women aren't. And yeah. our understanding of beauty is now according to, um, are you shaped like a Coke bottle? Um, are you the body that people want to buy over the counter? And the, the hardest time for me was when I felt like the best I could look and the best way I would be able to get jobs was if, and I'm going to, I'm going to be very controversial, is if I looked mixed race. Because we, I realized that all the girls that were booking jobs at the time and a lot of the girls that we were seeing on screen were light-skinned, which I am, yes, but I wasn't ambiguous enough. It needs to be that level of ambiguity to be seen as beautiful because we were defining our, our standards according to um, international taste. And then, then I found myself in a time where, where I felt my most beautiful when I was able to appreciate small waist, big butt, big breasts, cur- big curly hair, and now I'm exotic looking. And that's when I started booking my most work. I'm not even kidding. So what does that mean? I'm not even kidding. Um, and I'm so grateful now. And, and it, was booking, it was booking work uh, as far as commercially, mm. commercially viable. But the talent part and being able to present and act didn't come from that. It just came from the fact that I looked like I was 15. Shout out to your TV and Generations <laughs> and Imbilo the Scam. That Love my, that show. You're great in that show. Thanks. That my, that my, thank you. That my, that my youthfulness is what's keeping me here. Mm. Um, but in that time, and I, I believe a lot of young women, a lot of women that are brown-skinned girls, brown-skinned girls 
can completely agree with me and I'm not going to I'm not going to make their journeys mine because I went through my own tug of war and my own conflicts with what my beauty was. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was too short. Oh my gosh, and the most difficult part was my teeth. I didn't have the money to, to fix my teeth. I mean, shout out now, I straightened my top. <laughs> I, hey, I'm gonna show y'all on the video. So I, I saved up enough money to, to straighten my, 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 the top row of teeth because I had one really skewed tooth. And the hardest thing is to receive a brief that says, um, black girl between 18 and 25, tick the box. Charismatic, tick the box. Good at acting, tick the box. Um, uh, great healthy body, tick the box. And then you get perfect teeth oh. and skin. Got the skin part. And black girl, I'm between 18 and 25. Then you have to not go to this audition because your teeth aren't perfect enough for it. Mm. What more with a woman who re receives a brief and they tick every box and then it said, then it says, good, healthy body. Mm -hmm. What on earth does a good, healthy body look like? Yeah. So now we have this red tape around what beauty is supposed to look like. Mm. And you always have to question if you're close enough to it. If your proximity to beauty is close enough to what satisfies the palate of the client. Mm. And that will always be difficult. That would, it's traumatic. It is traumatic because you consistently receive rejection. And the hardest thing about the rejection that you get is that it comes with no disclaimer or feedback. So you have to always, after the 10 auditions you went to in that one month, and no yes that you received, it has to be me. I'm not beautiful enough. And then you see all the women that are cast in the ad and they all look the same. Then you're like, oh, Yep, it's me. It's 100% me. It is so hard. And now it's even worse because, again, I acknowledge that I'm speaking from a point of privilege because I, I am a beautiful woman. I am a beautiful woman, but it took for me to decide that I'm a beautiful woman. It took for me to believe that I'm a beautiful woman. For me to even get the jobs because I didn't believe it at all. I didn't. I thought it was cute in the beginning. I thought, oh, my talent will carry me through. But where looks were concerned, I never cared for that because I came from a theater background. Mm. Theater doesn't care how beautiful you are, but commercials do, but on screen does. And it translates clearly because the audience will comment about it. Black Twitter will have a thing to say about it. Mm -hmm. And it will break you down to absolute shreds. So beauty is always going to be a difficult thing to, to to come against because it's, again, we say, you define beauty, inner beauty. The industry does not care about your inner beauty. They're not casting your inner beauty. A, a campaign is not gonna cast your inner beauty. Wow, babes, they're not. Let me tell you, Miss South Africa isn't casting inner beauty either. We have a plus size contestant. Who is not a plus size contestant? Shout out to you, Beulah. Shout out to you because also she's having to conform to the standards of what the modeling industry deems as plus size. Mm. To us, she seems like a beautiful bodied slim woman. But the modeling industry declares her, anyone that's 30 plus or 28 plus as plus size. Mm -hmm. So beauty is a crazy space to try and idle back and forth around. Um, and I, have a constant conflict with beauty, with myself, always. 
I don't want people to ever think because what wastes this? Because looking thicker than a bowl of oatmeal, that because I'm shaped a certain way that I'm consistently happy with how I look, I'm not. I've gained a lot of weight. I don't fit into all my clothes like I used to. And that was difficult for me to come to terms with. So difficult. A lot harder than most people would think. I mean, I get it and I'm like, oh, woo, you tweet. Oh, you know, Nick, guys. Or you retweet. Or you retweet a post where someone is like having a hard time shopping for clothes now. And you, you can relate. But then when those jeans don't fit like they used to, you're just like, whoa, this is crazy. This is happening. <laughs> uh, gr- growing pains are, mm. are peaking. Um, so, I, I mean, I would love to have so many seminars and conversations with young women, especially that look like me, to say that, wow, not, all, not everything that, that glitters is gold. Don't ever think that the 10,000 retweets validate how beautiful I feel because it's only highlights of the showreel but you don't get to see the cuts and the edits. I love that. Um, last few questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, your sisters are really, really successful in the entertainment industry. Yes, they are. Shout out. Did you ever get imposter syndrome because you're associated with them? Did you ever lose your voice? Did you feel like you had to be like them? Um, I once walked into an audition um, for a show that I didn't get, but now the show ceases to exist. It was cancelled. <laughs> um, <laughs> rather the channel cancelled the entire network yeah. hectic and the gist of the first half of my audition was you look exactly like Bunte I'm like oh is that so yeah is she your sister yes she is so what's happened with her and pretty ugly conversations and I had to stop them, and and and, with, and I'm like, with all due respect, I'm here as and representing Candice Mudisele, and not the Mudisele <laughs> and the Mudisele Trinity or Fraternity. So if I may proceed with my audition, I'd be very grateful. They're like, yeah, sure, of course. Um, I didn't get the job, and that's okay. And I didn't think it was personal um, because it wasn't my time and it wasn't my season for that. And now I realize why. Crystal clear. But I stem from a home that does not glorify rivalry. There's no room for it. My mom will crack the whip now. You will not be able to flinch before she reprimands any form of disrespect that is shared between us. We're human. We have our differences. We have our conflicts. We have our disagreements, as we should. And if we didn't, we'd be a very strange family. Because without the darkness, you never get to appreciate the light. So, do we, do, do we have our differences? Yes. Do we bring those differences out into the world of our work? Absolutely not. Because we ground our relationship in consistent support of each other. Because we know that we are in an industry that competes against each other. So if we can't, in our own home, support each other, who on earth are we expecting to support us? Mm. When the first reference of support needs to come from the people who shared a womb with you. (laughs) We shared the most intimate, sacred space. And that's our origin. And we can't support each other from that space. And we think the world is going to support us. 
we'd be asking too much. We'd be asking for way too much. So I, I as an individual went into this industry knowing without a doubt that I'd be questioned, that the integrity of my work would be questioned and would be compared against that of my sisters. But we all came into this industry with different value propositions and vastly different at that. Refile as Africa's first model with albinism. Buntle as one of the most accomplished choreographers in South Africa, if not Africa as a whole. Mm. And then me as an actress. So we had a model, a dancer, choreographer, and we had an actress. All of us whose professions and crafts bleed onto each other. Refile, an actress and presenter. Buntle, actress, presenter. Me, actress, presenter, and a studied choreographer. So we now acknowledge ourselves as storytellers and people who aren't doing it for any form of fame or recognition, but we're called to it. Mm. So it's also understanding that grounding in our teachings of God, faith, and spirituality, that we are called to do this and we're called to do it together. Mm. And any form, like they say, divided we stand, div uh, 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 together we stand, divided we fall. So I go into auditions. Yes, I look like Bunte. Okay. Yes, I know. And then people will speak about it and I'm like, okay, cool. Or they speak about my sister. And that's okay. If I were to um, run away from it, I'd be running away from the honesty of who I am. And I'm a sister to two amazing women. Mm. And that's okay. So the imposter syndrome didn't really exist. Comparison, it's a thief of joy, didn't really exist. Mm. I've never felt like I needed to compare my dancing to my sisters. Mm. She's brilliant at it. Exactly. If anything, if someone calls me to be a choreographer for something, I'll be like, is she better suited for that? If someone calls me to MC something, I'm like, okay, maybe my sister might be better suited for that. Maybe Rufina might be better at that. And and that's that on that. And we, 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 I won't even lie. Where we can plug each other in, you bet we will. Mm. But that's how I hold all women in this industry, all individuals in this industry, where I can plug you, I will. Mm. It's not just a sister thing. It's not a cousin thing. It's not a how long do have we known each other thing. It's a are you equipped to do the work and are you the best person I can suggest for it. What's the damage in taking a job that doesn't suit you or that doesn't really work for your skill set? Um, for me, I, well, I, I remember being called to do a talk on the fourth industrial revolution. I was like, nope. I had, I had two options. Buckle down, read as much as you can and lie to the people for the check. Or say, I think I can suggest someone else that would be better for the job. Mm. I went for the latter. I ground all of it, every, a lot of the things and everything that I do in honesty and originality. It would be inauthentic for me to stand on that stage. That's why people ask me, I, yes, I am a very good vocalist. I am, I was, in, especially in the musical theater space, a great performer, singer. Mm. I'm not gonna go and drop an album now. And that's simply because there are people who are passionate about it. I'm not gonna use my numbers, my platforms, to build a career that I don't think is suited for me. Mm. Simply because I'm trying to cut a check. When I'm ready to, and should I be ready to become a, a brilliant vocalist on your favorite house on my piano track? <laughs> I might just, mm. but not now. Because it's inauthentic for you to take something that is not, or that's out of range and out of reach for you. 
And for people who do that, that's perfectly fine because you're learning on the job. And I think it's very important to be a consistent scholar. So even if you're taking on something that is out of reach, your willingness to learn around that is what will carry you through. I just felt like it would be inauthentic and a lie for me to now talk about for I am <laughs> exactly yes I am part of it but <laughs> I stem from it I am within it but no no babes I can't I can't it would be unfair to because again that's why I say be of service to other people how is what I'm doing impacting the other person mm. if after all is said and done, I cut the biggest check, but no one in that room learnt anything. What's the point? What's the point? And mm. how is that fair? And how is that in line or dancing with my purpose? It's not even it's not even putting a step forward, let alone a whole dance. So I was just like, mm-mm. I, I got names for you. Even now, I was approached to be a casting director for a film. I know I have the makings to be a casting director, but I felt like put it in the hands of someone that's better equipped for it. Mm. I can give you a list of names. What's in store for Candace? Woo! Um, a lot is in store. I'm, I'm literally going to like be following level everywhere because I really, <laughs> really know that and I'm very passionate about going into the online space but in a way that's affordable and accessible to the broader market. Um, it, they, there are people that are waiting for content mm. or content that can relate to them mm. fully mm. but they don't have access to it data yeah dura man guys data dura it's so unfair but a lot is in store um new shows on the way a really awesome one um, in january 2020 it's crazy 2020 is less than five months away basically right gross i thought I'd be, i thought i'd be married with my first child by Are now you serious oath oath really i promise you 2020 felt like i'd be 50. Oh, so okay. when i was looking at 2020 and when i was looking at 25 i'm like yeah 25 i'm gonna be engaged of oh course. wow okay. i'm gonna be engaged with half a child maybe <laughs> or the child on the way at the yeah. very least well boy am i far from both um but a lot is in store from really diving into the online space partnering up with a multitude of brands on um, becoming impactful to, for, and around the youth, uh, the youth of South Africa, particularly the black South African youth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I'm finally, the grit and the passion and the, <clears throat> oh, my throat, guys. I'm finally registering my company, Woo-hoo! my media company. Congrats. Thank you, thank you. It, and I, I, pretended that it was the re- the reason behind is I can't find a name. I was just scared. Mm. The mm. same thing with my YouTube channel. Guys, I'm scared. And I don't want to say I'm scared. It's not scared is not the reason, but having the time to do it is also so difficult when I spend at very least like I'm like 12 hours a day of my day is spent on set mm. or at work. And then the in between is interviews and meetings. When do I have time to commit fully to a YouTube channel? Because the YouTube channel needs consistency. But a lot more, a lot more. I leave no stone unturned. But mm. if anything, it is for the impact and the benefit of the youth of South Africa. Um, and really about rewriting the narrative of what being a young, black, gifted South Africa should look like. 
We're going to be working on a lot of things together if that's what you're doing. Girl! Because I love that. I'm about that. That's the way. We're going to be tired of seeing each other's face right? at some point. I'll I'm going to see like, at 3 a.m. Oh, and be like, ah, oh, fancy seeing you here. <laughs> exactly. Oh, we moved in together. Oh, yeah. no wonder. Exactly. Are you a disruptor? I am a disruptor. What is a disruptor? A disruptor is someone that unapologetically goes against the grain. Um, a person that speaks for the gain and the benefit of others. A person that is called to um, called to speak for the voiceless, and a person who is called to engage on behalf of those that are too fearful. Um, a disruptor is a called person, and they may not be qualified. But like, like I always say, God does not call the qualified; He qualifies the called, and those are the disruptors. Thank you so much for making time for me and coming on Lessons with Lion. I know people are going to get so much out of this podcast. Thank you. You are a wealth of knowledge. You are so inspiring. And I drink rebos with milk. And you drink rebos with milk, which is okay. Then that is a disruptor. I drink rebos with milk. And I slept with socks on last night. And she slept with socks I don't, on. Maybe that's why I don't, my voice is struggling. Maybe. Who does that? Do a lot of people do, actually. Do you sleep with socks on? Sometimes, if I forget. You know, like... Yeah, at some point in the night, I'm like, ew, ew, what are those? Oh, they're socks. Exactly. Shucks. (laughs) But thank you so much, Candice. Thank you Um, for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, I can't wait to work with you on more things. Hopefully, guys, I'm not really, I'm putting it out into the universe. Maybe you'll see more things with me and Candice in the future. You never know. Let's shake the table. Right? The table's been been too stable. We need to shake it. Let's shake the tables. Thank you guys for tuning in. And as usual, you know, you can reach me on Twitter at levelion underscore SA. And we can talk about this podcast. If you've got questions, I'll tag Candice on Twitter. And we'll just have a conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in to the hashtag Disruptor series of Lessons with Lion. And I can't wait to see you next time.